Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit, the horror movie review podcast for horror fans and fanatics alike. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, delivering horror movie reviews and discussions of both classic and current films every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for your twisted pleasure. Please be aware that episodes may include spoilers, and as always, I hope you enjoy. For today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, I'm once again joined by returning friend of the show and masochist Bernie to tackle the next chapter in our Saw series review, 2006's Saw 3. Once again, director Darren Lynn Bozeman returns to helm the sordid reigns of the franchise with Lee Winnell returning to pen the screenplay based on the world and characters he and James Wan created together. Saw 3 follows a new series of games of the serial killer mastermind Jigsaw, once again played by Tobin Bell, and picks up after the events of the previous film. We meet Dr. Lynn Denlin, who's kidnapped and forced to care for Jigsaw, whose condition has worsened with his days now numbered. Lynn must keep Jigsaw alive long enough for Jigsaw's latest victim, Jeff, to complete his task of either seeking revenge or forgiving the man who killed his son. But as usual, there's more going on behind the scenes than meets the eye, making for Jigsaw's most intricate game yet. So without further ado, here's our conversation on Saw 3. Bernie, welcome back to the show, man. I appreciate it, brother. I will say, though, I don't know what's worse, the fact that you called me a masochist or that I had to look up what that actually was. Uh, well, let's just say you're the one that suggested we watch a movie about people being tortured in increasingly uh, increasingly gruesome ways. So I think that speaks for itself. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm glad to <laughs> be back, man. This is uh, definitely a movie that falls under that category. And... Uh, uh, I think that this is definitely a, one of the more, I don't know if unique is the right way of putting it in the Saw franchise, but it was definitely a different movie than the first two for sure. Moving away from Saw 1 and 2, which were the only ones in addition to Jigsaw that I'd seen previously, I mean, sort of my perception of what this series becomes is maybe not as favorable as I would like, right? Kind of I've been hearing a lot from people in terms of like, oh, it kind of devolves a lot in terms of moving away from this more sort of structured narrative and mystery angle into more of sort of just these more elaborate and gory kills that don't necessarily have a lot of maybe narrative substance to them or they sort of are just there to shock and awe and then moving on to the next one, right? Without really any sort of uh, narrative connective tissue tying them together in a way that really makes for a movie that delivers anything other than sort of just like unfiltered gore, Mm -hmm. Um, which there's a time and a place for that kind of stuff, but when you're watching these uh, every week, I would kind of hope that they would continue to kind of string along that narrative thread. And Saw 3 surprised me in a lot of ways in terms of it being sort of a combination of the first two films and continuing that sort of narrative connective tissue in terms of like expanding on the Jigsaw lore. But then also we're seeing an increased budget, right? I mean, the first movie I believe cost a million dollars. The second one cost $4 million and this one cost 10. And I think it really shows that they sort of are obviously the film series is evolving with the success of the first two films. And I think that this film might stand as the film that kind of is the last, the last sort of finding a balance between a narrative that is compelling and then obviously more and more elaborately gory traps. But I'm interested to see kind of moving forwards if they're able to really kind of maintain that balance as well or not. So I will say this, right? I think the, and we see this again, very much so unfold uh, during this particular story or this chapter of Saw, but Jigsaw's whole mantra, you know, he's a crazy psychopath, right? But at least there is like, 
some kind of chance that these victims have of getting out. Whereas I think the issue with Saw that's going to start coming up in these later movies is that, to your point, it loses the actual reason for this movie being, a, or the, the story being a thing, and it just devolves into just like a, uh, an amalgam of different death scenes with different victims that, again, it, it doesn't necessarily tie into the story arc the way that the first two or three movies did. Um, there is still a little bit of mystery as we'll, when we get to Saw 4 and 5, I, I forget which one it is where the, the next kind of big catalyst comes in, but um, there is there is a, a hierarchy to this, to this story um, and we're definitely starting to get to the lower echelons of, of the film and the, the narrative that comes in play with it. Yeah, so I think Saw 3 is a pretty strong start in that, once again, it kind of resembles the sort of structure loosely of the previous two films, right? You're kind of tackling multiple uh, narrative structures or multiple sort of narratives with different characters. You have sort of the police angle of things that is running parallel to what is occurring with Jigsaw and his current predicament and things like that. And I really appreciated how the film picks up right where the last one left off. Right. It's kind of like we're seeing again, people are kind of searching for Donnie Wahlberg's character, Detective Matthews, who at the end of the last film we saw found himself in the same predicament that uh, Dr. Gordon and Adam found themselves at at the end of Saw. Um, and then he foregoes sawing through his own leg for uh, mashing the shit out of it with a blunt toilet seat, uh, <laughs> which made for probably the gnarly one of the most gnarly moments of the entire series. And well, so far, I'll say. But uh, it's one of those moments that I think it's an early indicator of just how well they're utilizing the budget. And I will say that we'll get kind of into how the tone is beginning to shift with these films. And it's very apparent in this film, especially, I think, that that uh, shift is occurring now. But I think that the budget is very prevalent in terms of the traps and the sort of the elaborate nature of them. And obviously the practical work that goes along with the gore and everything like that. Um, so I'm kind of curious how you felt the, they handled the sort of numerous storylines because while the other films did have multiple storylines, I find that this one is more intricate and it kind of, it flows more fluidly between them or maybe it doesn't flow fluidly. Maybe it's just sort of, it, it, it kind of dances between them a little more frequently than sort of having one storyline play out for like 20 minutes at a time and then, oh, we'll go to the next one and then dancing back and forth. I mean, I think the editing, the the folks that edited this did a heck of a job just because although there are a lot of storylines, I didn't necessarily find myself confused as I think in certain other movies that have this kind of component, I, I would have been. Um, but there definitely are a lot of different layers throughout the film. And again, as we get to the end where we figure out what the actual test, so to speak, was, um, we understand more and more why the movie unfolds and really even the first two movies why they unfolded the way that they did. Um, so to that effect, I personally really liked it. This movie was a little bit longer, I think, than the second one, if I if I remember correctly, maybe by like 10 or 15 minutes, not anything too drastic. But um, I personally, my issue wasn't necessarily with the storyline in this. It's more about the characters. I really did have a connection, not a connection necessarily, but like I felt for Dr. Lin, um, like she seems like a very 
believable character in this in this kind of a thing, right? And uh, someone who you can root for. Whereas I hated Jeff in every <laughs> single situation, and that's with the cav or with the understanding that like he's in this predicament because his son died and he didn't handle it well, which. I don't know why that really would put him in the category of someone who doesn't appreciate their life, which is supposedly the genesis for why uh, Jigsaw chooses his victims, right? Um, but man, does he do every fucking thing possible to kill the people that he's supposed to save? Um, it's it's fascinating to see like a protagonist in this kind of a sense be that distasteful i guess um so again there there's a lot of different components to this movie that i like but there's certainly some that i think we start to lose uh the 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 upper echelon again of like the hierarchy of how good the movies can be we start to see some of the the downsides of this as well if that makes sense yeah i'll say this i like the angle that they take with his character this idea that in Saw 2, we went with an entire group of characters. And when you have an entire group like that, and it's a 90 minute, give or take movie, you're not gonna be able to flesh everybody out nearly as much as you should. And certain characters start to just feel like fodder. So to really kind of make the narrative tied around this one character, or at least Jeff's game is one character focused, right? It's this father that lost his son to supposedly a drunk driver, but then it turns out that the guy that killed him wasn't actually drunk. Yeah. Um, which was, there's, We'll get into that. There's some elements to the narrative that begin to like either fall apart or they start to just kind of like cast aside things that they said in the beginning of the film in the later end of the film. But we'll get into that. But um, I like the idea that it's a test for this one person and it's up to them to really overcome their demons in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that the angle that they take, like the the morality thing is a little trite, right? It's this idea that it's like, well, he's either going to fully lean into revenge or he's going to learn to forgive, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a new concept. But I think for this film, it gives this film that supposedly dabbles in morality a protagonist now that has to dabble in morality, right? He's somebody that hasn't necessarily like harmed other people. He maybe has not been the best father in the interim, right? We see that his relationship with his daughter is strained because he can't get over the death of his son, which I think they portray pretty heavy handedly. But I do like the idea that all of the victims have a connection other than my dad is the cop that arrested everybody or I'm taking po photographs of you because you're having an affair and I'm a private investigator or whatever. Like those are very sort of these thin connections. And I like that the victims in this film all have a direct connection to an event that occurred that changed the course of this person's life. I like that angle. I just don't necessarily think uh, Angus McFadden is a very, a very good actor. Um, I didn't really care for his character. I thought his character was basically just as sort of just run of the mill as you could get. He's just very cliche. Again, these films are not known for having necessarily very deep characters or the best of performances. I guess I like the direction of taking a singular character approach, mm -hmm. except when you have the focus be on a singular character, they better be given a hell of a performance because the weight of the entire narrative is on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, and well, in this case, I guess that's not necessarily true, right? Because we have the second narrative with Lynn and her having to take care of Jigsaw. What did you think of that uh, narrative that kind of runs parallel to Jeff's story? I mean, I think you get a little bit confused to what is actually 
unfolding because at the beginning you see Dr. Lin is in bed with a gentleman who is at least 70 pounds lighter than Jeff is. So you're like, and he asks her for a divorce. So you're not exactly understanding of like, I, I don't know why, like why these two things are going on necessarily, right? You're, you've trusted through the first two movies that there is some sort of, uh, uh, a plot line that's going to lead them to, to crossroads here in the near future. Um, but it was a little bit confusing to that effect of like why these two people kept going back and forth to an extent. But I will say, I think actually Dr. Lin's, uh, the actress that pays, plays Dr. Lin, Bahar Sumer, I believe her name is. Apologies if I butchered that. But um, she does, I think she does a pretty good job. Like her character, again, is very believable. I think it's she's very likable. Um, I will say, again, one of the small, like one of the things that start to affect the believability of like the mastermindedness, I guess, of, of Jigsaw and his, um, who, who we later learn his protege, Amanda, is continuing on in her uh, protege role here, right? Um, they kidnap dr lynn in the hospital that was kind of hard to believe like that entire scenario and like the aspect again of like the repeatability i guess of that what would you call it? like a pig's head that that yeah it's like a pig mask yeah like you're already as soon as the door was locked you already knew it was going to happen really right so like, right. um that aspect is losing the effectiveness i think mm-hmm. but um i thought that I guess the the dynamic between Jigsaw, uh, Amanda, and Dr. Lin was good enough to offset the, I guess, lack of character that we found in Jeff playing on that other side of the, the aisle, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really like the trio's relationship in, in that sort of like tetanus hospital that Jigsaw is held up at, where he's basically worsening his condition, his brain tumor and whatnot, to the point he's having seizures and like vomiting blood and all these things. And um, Dr. Lin finds herself wearing a new uh, jigsaw harness that uh, will explode, of course. Well, would it explode or it had shotgun pellets on it that would fire? I think it was shotgun pellets, but they kept saying that it, was the, it had explosives. But then when they show the collar, it's lined with like shotgun shells. So if jigsaw dies or if she gets out of range, then they would go off, obviously. But either way, she would get killed. Um, and I appreciated that they kind of use these instances in that sort of makeshift hospital or that jigsaw workshop to give us more flashbacks from the previous two films. And we get to see behind the scenes a little bit, which I think ends up being more interesting than Jeff's narrative, which is in the present. Um, I just think that when they spent so much time alluding to a mystery in the first two films or sort of like this conspiracy angle or there's more going on than what you actually see going on, um, I I like stuff like that. I like when they show us kind of the behind the scenes and we learn, oh, Amanda has been Jigsaw's right-hand woman, essentially, and doing all of his deeds and whatnot, um, which makes the first two films more believable, I think, right? Because, of course, you see all the, the ridiculousness of all these traps and everything, and he's an old, frail man whose health is increasingly getting worse and worse. You're like, well, this is nonsense. He couldn't do any of this. So to have an answer for that, I actually kind of like. Um, Granted, maybe they run away with that a little bit towards the end of the film and we'll get into that, but I think I I would not have appreciated this movie nearly as much had they not included 
the narrative and seeing this sort of ever-evolving relationship between Dr. Lin, Amanda, and Jigsaw. And of course, uh, Jigsaw gets more screen time, which is always a good thing considering he didn't have a whole lot in the first film. And it's nice just to see Tobin Bell being able to kind of like stretch those sinister muscles in ways other than just lending his voice to a video or a cassette playing. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, I, I think the most interesting aspect to me in this movie was again the the dynamic that you see between Dr. Lin, Amanda, and Jigsaw, where you imagine that Jigsaw is gonna be more, I guess fr- I don't know, friendlier is the nicer way, but he's has more of an affinity to Amanda Young's character because she's you know, she's learning from him, right? But throughout the movie, you notice that he's like kinder for whatever reason to Dr. Lin. And it starts to cast this weird dynamic where Amanda's getting jealous of Dr. Lin, even though her entire purpose there, at least for what we understand, is to help, is Amanda's trying to make sure that Jigsaw gets saved and Dr. Lin is very much a critical component to that, right? Um, So as Dr. Lin, you know, that character arc comes to a head where she does try and save Jigsaw to an extent, um, which... That whole scene is fucking crazy, by the way. Uh, That's a a different point. But it's very interesting to see how the relationship between Amanda and Jigsaw starts to kind of disintegrate before our eyes within, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of of screen time. Whereas in the first two films, again, as we start to learn, she played a much bigger component than we understood. Yeah, and I think we have to give credit to Shawnee Smith, who... I think has really been like the MVP of these first three films along with Tobin Bell, obviously. Like, I think she has definitely been one of the strongest characters, more so than any of the like protagonists, I find. Because I think, I mean, Donnie Wahlberg is kind of whatever for me. Uh, even Carrie Elwes in the first film and uh, Lee Winnell, who I think is a better writer than an actor and director. Um, <laughs> I mean, she does a really fantastic job of playing this very sort of conflicted traumatized person that thinks that she's found an answer in sort of like becoming Jigsaw's uh, apprentice essentially. But then you see in the third film really that nothing has been resolved in her. And if anything, it really solidifies this idea that Jigsaw's entire sort of like philosophy through death, you will appreciate life or through pain, you'll appreciate life is basically nonsense. This idea that he is uh, quote unquote saving her or he saved my life and they kind of have this very strange relationship now. Um, If anything, it shows she's just become more fucked up. You can't like take damaged people and then have them do horrific acts of violence and assume that it's gonna like save them because then you see that, oh, she is the one that is like perverting his ideology essentially, right? Because his thing is, I mean, (laughs) It's a pretty goofy line. Jigsaw one point says like, I detest her. I hate murderers. And it's like, okay, my guy, it's the third movie. You've killed like 15 people by now. Um, But I think it's hilarious that, um, well, not hilarious, but it sort of just like shows the tragic nature of her character that she's not able to kind of like subscribe to his ideology, even though she is like his apprentice, right? It's this idea that no, they need to pay. They need to suffer. She has been killing all of the victims that he has been uh, setting the games up for, essentially, which is basically like going against his uh, entire ideology. And so I think it's interesting that she really does become the true 
antagonist of the film. Meanwhile, he's the mastermind always. And we see that with the, uh, the twist that this film takes, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I just think it's interesting that this film is able to still conceal things and still make it so that way the audience never really truly knows what's happening or how this film is going to wrap up. Like, I think that's a pretty rare thing for a third film in a series like this. Yeah. I mean, granted, to something you said earlier, these movies are becoming more formulaic. Mm -hmm. As soon as somebody is in a their their house or their business or a garage or whatever and they can't get out, you know Pig Mask is gonna show up and knock them out. They're gonna wake up somewhere in some horrific trap and things like that. And you know there's gonna be a twist at the end. But just because you know something's coming, I find it's difficult to predict exactly what it is, which is actually refreshing, I think, with these movies. So yes, I very much agree to that. And real quick, you what you were saying just made me think of something. Jigsaw, when he said that, uh, like he doesn't like uh, serial killers or murders or whatnot, he literally killed that Asian cop in the first movie. He like did or. No, he, he punched him or whatever, and then he was chasing him, and then he got shot with the, he like trip wired on the shotgun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, the, the acting in this from some characters was not great. I think your point is very, very valid. Shawnee Smith is a phenomenal actress in this. Very believable how crazy her character is, right? Um, but it, it is interesting. You know, we start to see, like you said, little hints and pieces that um, the game has changed to an extent. And when we see um, uh, Dina Mayer's character, uh, Detective Allison Carey, she gets kidnapped from her house. That was, to be fair, that I was not expecting that. I thought that the monster or whatever, the pig mask was going to be in the uh, in the closet. And so right. from behind, like that was actually a decent scare to, to be fair to those guys. But um, it was crazy that she's already she's a detective on this case. Right. So she's knows how to get through these feasibly. Right. Mm -hmm. And she gets the key, but she can't unlock it or she can't get the the what you call the hooks out of her ribs. I guess it was right. That ended up again we keep thinking that there's like a certain gnarliest moment in, in the series continues <laughs> to happen in this movie until get five or 10 more minutes in. And then another crazy thing happens. Right. <laughs> Man, that scene where her ribs get you know torn out like that, that is one of the gnarlier moments. I think of this franchise when all is said and done, uh, it kind of reminded me of remember in silence of the lambs where, uh, uh, what's his name? Hannibal Lecter. He's in the like the cage with the two cops, and then bites them and tases them or whatnot. And like the uh, was a carrion. Uh, some of the other uh, FBI agents rush in, and he's like hanging from the top, and his like le like arms are kind of spread out. That kind of reminded me. And obviously, it's a little different, but it felt like a little bit of an homage to that in some kind of way because I don't know the lighting and stuff like that it would just seem very similar um, but that to me was one of the crazier moments of the movie and it happened within the first 15 minutes yeah absolutely I think that scene is really key for two reasons right one it shows that the game essentially is being rewritten like the rule book is being rewritten in a lot of ways and that oh all of a sudden even if you're able to solve whatever kind of the puzzle is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you're still going to die. And this is, I think, 
the tonal shift that we've been talking about for the, about the previous two films and kind of the, as the series moves forwards, this idea that things are evolving in a way that is out of line with the mastermind's vision, yeah. right? This idea that the detective Carrie um, wakes up and she's in this basically a contraption hanging and she's got these kind of like chunks of metal dug into her ribs and she can stick her hand into a vat of acid and find the key and then unlock it before obviously the metal kind of like separates and rips her ribs out of her rib cage or whatnot and a horrific uh, horrific death that ensues but when she unlocks it and gets the key which i mean comes at the cost of burning herself it doesn't matter because unlocking it doesn't do anything right her her fate has been sealed as soon as she was put into this uh, new horrific contraption mm -hmm. and so that right there shows again the rule book has been rewritten but it further reinforces that no characters are safe and she is a veteran of this series at this point, right? She's been in this in the series uh, for three films, and she hasn't had necessarily the biggest role in the films, but she's still been a recurring character, and it shows that, like, nobody is safe. And, I mean, it doesn't matter how big of a name you are. I mean, I know Diana Mer uh, Meyer from, like, Starship Troopers and the like. She's a fairly big-name actress, and so it just shows that nobody is safe no matter how big or small of a role you have, and I think... That's important for a series like this, right? You want to keep the audience guessing. And even if structurally these movies are becoming more and more formulaic, I think it's important to have elements like that where, hey, just because you might be able to foresee a series of events, at the same time, we're not going to shy away from killing a big name character, a big name actor, um, which I think it. I would be interested to see how much they kind of stick with that as the series moves forwards in the next five or six installments that we're going to watch but I do think that that's an element that sort of keeps audiences on their toes that works really well in contrast with the sort of just structural dynamic of these films no 100% I mean again we'll see uh, you know what happens with Donnie Wahlberg's character for instance that again is left uh, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger with what goes on with him and again that's within the first what 10-15 minutes that we see his character and then his storyline ends within this chapter right um what were your thoughts though on how uh jeff's you know jeff went through those gauntlet of i guess quote unquote challenges where he wasn't actually the one that was it was his test but he wasn't necessarily suffering any of the consequences of, of his of, of the test rather how did you like that different dynamic uh because obviously it's a little bit uh of a more unique case than the previous two films. Yeah, structurally, I actually really like it. Again, I like this idea that just because it's your test, you might not necessarily be the one that has to be put in harm's way every single time. Like he gets injured during the freezer room one, right? He like his face touches a, a freezing pipe and then he moves away and his skin rips off, which, okay. But he's not gonna die during that one, right? Because each of the tests, is putting somebody that was involved in some capacity in his son getting killed by that driver, they are the true victim of each of those sort of traps. Um, and I like that, right? Because that plays into the morality angle, no matter how trite that might be. This being the third film in a series, that's a little more unique than, hey, you have to crawl through razor wire or you have to try not to light yourself on fire while you search for the combination to a safe type thing. Um, and I like that there was a good variety to go along with that, right? There's a variety of characters that are tied to his son, uh, his son's death, but then also each of them has a different trap that they're in. And 
it's smart to have it be so that way the person that is in that trap, their entire uh, survival is dependent on him because that ties into the idea, are you going to be able to forgive or are you going to lean even further into vengeance? I don't think that actor particularly sells it all that well. And again, it is fairly trite, but I think it works for this movie. And again, the variety of traps, with the exception of the first two that don't really have anything to do with Jeff, I find that it's a good variety of sort of this creative brutality that Winnell and Juan are basically had started with their, sort of their vision for what Saw was. And again, it it feels very in line with the original film. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important moving forwards that everything sort of, you could trace it to the original film, mm -hmm. whether the same characters are showing up or even whether or not Jigsaw is involved in the later movies. I think so long as everything in that world adheres to Jigsaw's like twisted ideology or sort of just team Jigsaw at this point, because there's more than one sort of person that's working with him. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's interesting that, or it should be that everything, at least you can see the, how the genesis of it came from Jigsaw. Mm -hmm. Like one of the first victims is the woman who saw the guys who saw Jeff's son get uh, hit, mm -hmm. but she didn't testify for whatever reason. And then she basically is in a freezer and she's getting sprayed with water and she's in the process of like freezing to death. And he needs to get the key to unlock her, basically. Um, and then another one of the traps is there's a judge who gave the driver that killed his son like a six-month sentence for whatever reason, probably because there was no other key witness other than Jeff being the boy's father. Um, and that's probably like one of the more stomach-churning uh, traps where he's like about to be drowned by increasing levels of like rotting pig carcasses, which is as disgusting as that sounds, but um, the morality thing there is that it's like, he's tied to the bottom of this vat basically, and Jeff needs to burn his son's possessions to get the key that will unlock the judge. So I like that angle to it. I think that it makes for a more involving and a more, again, it's, he's not the most original protagonist, but it makes for him being more interesting if he has to get involved. Mm -hmm. It forces him to make a change that does not physically affect him, which all the other ones, the people are being manipulated into it, right? Yeah. It's this idea, if you want freedom and to live, you have to hurt yourself in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't have to hurt himself. He needs to, other people need to get hurt, but he's not literally the one doing it. He's almost in Jigsaw's shoes. So I definitely like that approach more, given that this is the third entry in a series and that you have to do something different. I think in that regard, Saw 3 actually succeeds pretty well. Mm -hmm. No, I'd agree with you. And I I think we'd both be uh, remiss if we didn't mention this. The first kill with Troy, oh. that shit was so ridiculous because, again, as he unfortunately very much learned, you <laughs> can get those hooks out from like, I mean, it was tied to muscles in his arm and his leg, mm. I think his Achilles or whatnot, like super painful. But that last hook was in his jaw. He was fucked either way. And that's really, I think that's the probably the most important kill in the entire movie, right? Because that is the one that shows things are fundamentally changing, right? Because that's the same thing. He never tries to take that one out of his jaw, but the entire time the audience is like, there's no way that that can come out. Right. And then so 
we even know that before what is revealed. And go ahead, you were going to reveal what uh, what the detective tells them. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, again, uh, Detective Carey learns very quickly that that uh, game is is very unfair now. But yeah, <laughs> it was welded. The doorway was welded shut from the inside, which. I don't know how that makes sense and how whoever did that got out. That's a <laughs> point we might learn or uh, we may never learn. But uh, yeah, he was he was just completely screwed either way. So I like there's a couple of deaths in this movie where I don't know, like I don't know if I if I felt bad for them worse that they died or that they had to endure the pain that they needed to get through just to die. Like that was, we see Lee, Lee one L's character um, at one point, he's still alive in the bathroom when Amanda goes in there and then yeah. she suffocates him. I forget what that actually is called where you put like the plastic. It's like, I think mafia used it or something like that. Uh, asphyxiation. There we go. Yeah. You, I think you, you have a little bit more experience than that with, you know, it's it's an English degree. It pays off <laughs> once in a while. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, he had to go through all that shit, right? Only to he she I believe she wakes him up with sniffing salts, and then, cause she, uh, yeah, she wakes him up somehow. Not, like she put her like uh, finger under his nose or right. Oh, I I think that was just to see if he was alive. Oh, okay. But what, Let's see if he was breathing. So he does wake up, and then she goes, "I'm sorry," and then she kills him like that. Yeah, man, he like again. He has one of the worst uh, like character arcs in this. Not <laughs> how his character is personality wise, but just he was completely screwed from the first second that this movie opens up. And yeah. <laughs> we also see. Um, in that, uh, in, or in one of those sequences, I think it's when John is like, uh, finishing up, uh, like putting on that fake blood on his head and then he pours it on the ground. Right. She puts, uh, she puts Lee one L's character into the tub and then she puts his key on his chest and starts to kind of sink into the water. I don't know if that was the first like i guess victim of, of jigsaws that really didn't then have a chance of getting out because i'm pretty sure once that that key went into the water he was fucked either way right is that is that a fair assumption yeah and i think that that's the first indication that like hey the uh the protege wants to become the master essentially and is taking things to the next level because jigsaw can't do anything about that right because he injects himself with whatever that agent is that slows down his heart rate and essentially makes him seem as if he's dead. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is sort of like the beginning of the end for Amanda. And we'll talk about how uh, how her arc comes to a, a sudden end at the end of this film. But I think that what you were saying about Troy's death in that when he's kind of like ripping out all these chains from his body and it's very grotesque and everything, not only does that lend something to the narrative in that, okay, we're seeing a development here mm -hmm. that he had no chance again it coming back to how much more of a budget this film has it's almost twice the amount of budget compared to the previous film and i think this one made 165 million dollars off of a 10 million dollar budget which is absolutely insane but that 10 million dollars seeing a six million increase from the previous film i really think this film is representative of that increase and it really shows that hey if we pump more money into these movies it's not going to be anywhere to the point where it's going to make a serious dent in the projected margins that it's going to make or profits. 
but they start to look a lot better. I think this movie looks a lot better than the previous ones in terms of at least like the practical uh, work in terms of the trap layouts, but also the gore. Like I'm watching the uh, unrated version of all of these and this movie is gnarly <laughs> compared to the other ones. Like I would love to see, obviously the movie did, did well, but at the same time, like I would be, it would be interesting to see like how many tickets they actually sold because I feel that growing up, I heard a lot more about the first two films and I didn't hear a lot about the other uh, sequels. Mm -hmm. And this has by far been the more gruesome of any of the movies, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because the previous two, the second one definitely had more characters, I think. Yeah, certainly had more characters, but the gruesomeness of these kills much more outweigh anything that happened even in the first two movies i mean the the driver that kills jeff's son he gets i that's like a roman torture method they were like i forget, I forget what yeah, he calls it the rack yeah the rack it breaks like it breaks every single bone essentially in your body but it twists your arm and then your uh your arms legs and then eventually your neck right that scene in particular, again, not only highlighted how fucking insane that this movie really is, but also, again, reinvigorates how much of a shit character Jeff is. Just so, <laughs> not yeah. like, again, as uh, the character itself, but the personality. He literally it, somehow within like a 30 second span gets both the judge that he saved uh, in theory, right? And the the driver that he's trying to quote unquote save killed in again in a matter of like 30, 40 seconds in horribly gruesome ways. Um, whereas he's again not a murderer by any means, he is somewhat complicit, whether it's negligence or ignorance, I guess. But right. um, yeah, that shotgun death that the judge took that was a mm -hmm. uh, I, I was not really prepared for that. Yeah, and I think that while maybe like that shotgun death is not the most original in terms of like the saw universe of how to, uh, how to kill people at the same time though, it's reflective of an increase in the practical effects budget, because I think that kill looks fantastic in terms of just like portraying that, even if it's not the most original, right? Just cause something's not original, it better fucking look good. And this looks incredibly gruesome, especially when uh, we get into the fate of another character that dies uh, by shotgun blast. But I guess we should talk about one of the scenes that is not a trap, but it is the most, probably the most gruesome scene in the entire movie. And that's Jigsaw's brain, <laughs> brain surgery. Um, this scene somehow did not contribute to them receiving an NC-17 rating the first like seven times they submitted this to the MPAA. Like apparently they were able to film this scene in all its graphic glory and not edited it at all because they had, they argued essentially that this is no different than when they show surgeries on TV. And so by that justification, apparently the MPAA did not make them edit that scene, which I think is insane because as somebody that watches horror movies, and obviously you've seen all these movies, that's probably the most uncomfortable scene I've watched in these movies, just because of how realistic it plays out in terms of, well, let's, let's be, Let's be 100% clear. This is probably not medically accurate, but <laughs> the way that they go about it, it feels at least it's meticulous enough in the different steps that Dr. Lin takes mm. that 
you would think, oh, this is like a back alley surgery or something. It kind of carries that weight to it. Yep. Not to say like, oh, I could watch this and then do that and somebody would be okay. Mm -hmm. But um, so essentially like to set up the scene for people, Jigsaw's brain tumor is getting worse. So his brain is pressing up against his skull because it's so inflamed and everything. And she has to relieve pressure in his skull. Mm -hmm. So she takes like a Home Depot drill, a Black & Decker, and then starts drilling holes into his skull after severing his scalp. <laughs> and then just like removes an entire plate of his skull. And then you see his brain pulse it. Like it is such a grotesque moment that I like was gritting my teeth during it. And yep. that's some saying something for a series where we see people get decapitated and their heads blown off and limbs severed and all these things. So it's, uh, it's actually kind of refreshing that a film series that is in the third entry in it that is all about gore and torture is still able to make me kind of like squirrelish. No, 100%. Listen, I have literally hundreds of hours of experience uh, in the medical community from watching <laughs> Um So I know that her procedure was in fact well done. However, um, what I can say, and again, I this I think part of this has to definitely go to the, the editing of this movie because just the the tip of the drill touching his skull when you oh. were described i could literally yep. hear it and it's just it's so subtle but it made it so much worse and again that scene in my mind was somehow like more grotesque than that guy that was um you know he was getting his he literally got his whole fucking face turned around uh like on the wheel thing there right um so i like i think that whole scene the the gravity of what was going on between amanda freaking out jigsaw and you mentioned this before i think in the first film and very much this echoes the same thing in this film his tone is always the exact same thing right it's always the same level whether he's telling Amanda that she's doing something wrong and he disagrees with it, or he's trying to walk Lynn through the process or like even being somewhat humorous when she asks him like how he's feeling. And he's like, I've never been better. Yeah. <laughs> That's a small like yeah. amount of levity in a conversation in a movie that is filled with nothing but complete gore and hopelessness for the most part. Right. Um, even at the end where you think that everything is going to be better and, uh, it very much isn't right. So, um, you know, he just does a phenomenal job in the, in, in that scene in particular. Um, but walk me through the end. Cause we, we get to a point where, uh, Jeff gets to like, he gets his final test. I think that's literally what was said on that note card. Uh, this final test or last test, whatnot. And Amanda has completely lost it. She's very jealous of Dr. Lin. She thinks she's not getting the, whatever it is, the credit that she deserves or uh, the recognition necessarily, right? What was your kind of take on that scene and kind of walk us through like what happened with it? So I like that this twist ending is so different than the other ones, right? Because it's about the relationship between a handful of characters that have not spent any time on screen together necessarily, right? I mean, you see Jeff who finally comes in and you s learn that he's not just some victim random, right? It kind of reinforces the idea that nothing Jigsaw does is random. Everything is calculated. And so you see his relationship in that, oh, hey, he is Dr. Lin's husband. And you're like, oh shit, we thought the guy at the beginning that she was banging in that room was her husband. 
and you learn, oh, she was having an affair and whatnot, um, which probably stemmed from the fact that they lost their child and neither of them are able to cope with the trauma and the grief and things like that. But it's interesting that they're able to, Jigsaw is essentially able to get exactly what he wants, even though it ends up with him getting killed, which I think is so central to that character, right? The idea that he was going to survive for four or five more <laughs> films or however many with a brain tumor that's advanced as his and after him, obviously he gets his throat slit. It's just, that would be completely ridiculous for a series of movies that dabbles in just barely believable and fairly ridiculous uh, at uh, moment to moment. But I really liked how Jigsaw is just able to manipulate people even on the moment that he's about to die into doing exactly what he wants, right? Mm -hmm. That being Jeff's final test is if he kills, if Jeff kills Jigsaw, he is essentially also killing his wife who gets shot by Amanda. Mm -hmm. And then Jeff, of course, walks in the room. He shoots uh, Amanda. Mm -hmm. And then Amanda dies and bleeds out. And then Jeff, it's up to him. Is he going to kill Jigsaw or forgive him? And naturally, as is the cynical human uh, element to the film in the film series, he tells Jigsaw he forgives him moments before slitting his throat with a medical instrument or like a hacksaw or something, which of course is going to kill his wife. And his wife can't speak and t warn Jeff of this because she got shot. So it is really this sort of dark irony to the entire thing that Jeff finally in his own way has said like oh yeah I forgive you but then in essence he loses the one thing that he really wants and well in the second thing right because we find that the setup for the next film the inevitable fourth film is that Jigsaw has kidnapped Jeff's daughter and that Jeff's daughter who's his only remaining child has been locked away somewhere and now Jeff I assume has to play another game in that Jigsaw dies, and as soon as he dies, he has another tape recorder in his hand. How convenient. Presses play, and then he talks about how, oh, I have your daughter. You have to play this one more game. Um, but I think the the thing I like the most about the twist ending is that it's revealed that this entire thing was Amanda's game. Yes. It was Amanda's game in that she has been unable to abide by the rules, as it were, Jigsaw's ideology. And this was the final test, right? And we find that it's revealed in all those flashbacks that she has been killing all these victims, whether they've won or not, um, which of course goes against Jigsaw's entire thing. But I found it to be satisfying in that it was another kind of twist that was different than the previous two films. But it also kind of revealed that I found the movie overall, the handling of those narratives to be fairly sort of just jumbled. And I think that's really revealed in the last moments of the film. Like they feel the need to give us um, like a 30 second highlight of what just happened like five minutes ago in terms of like recapping everything, which I mean, you don't need that. They just showed that 30, se 30 seconds ago. Um, so I think it kind of just highlights that they sort of rush to that ending that I think is pretty good for the third film in the series. But it also just reveals that they jump so quickly between Jeff's storyline, the sort of jigsaw storyline back in the makeshift hospital, all of the flashback stuff. And it, it all sort of just feels very jumbled and it's not necessarily the cleanest execution of something that I think on the surface is a pretty good way to wrap it up or to at least set up for a fourth film. But at the same time, like as soon as the film stopped or it ended and I started thinking about it and I was like, man, they really like sprinted to that ending in a way that 
it didn't feel as satisfying as the previous two endings, but I think as far as like the third film in a series that goes on for five or six more films, it got the job done. I would say, yeah, I think comparing this movie to other third installments in a, in a series, this probably holds its weight better than most. Again, to your point, it doesn't necessarily mean that it hit on everything that it should have. And um, we now know that Jigsaw is dead. Is his character dead in the actual franchise? Who knows? Um, well, I do, but I'm not going to ruin it. But um, one thing, though, that I, I will say to or a question for you. Have we seen what actually happened to Dr. Gordon after he left the, the bath? No. And that's a good point. And I noticed that in that flashback, right? Because his body isn't there when uh, Detective, uh, when Donnie Wahlberg's character, Detective Matthews, goes into that or he's put into that bathroom, right? He sees various bodies from Saw 1, Saw 2, and he sees a foot, but he never sees Dr. Gordon's body. So that led me to think like, and I haven't purposefully not gone on IMDb to see if Carrie Ellis's uh, name pops up in the credits. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if he pops up later, but then at the same time, he's such a big name actor. I don't know that he would come back to this film because this is a film that he made in 2004. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think like where his career was at in the following years where he's like, man, I'm not gonna fuck with these horror movies anymore because you know how a lot of mainstream actors are, how they look down on horror in a lot of ways. Um, but that would be a really welcome surprise, I think. That would be kind of cool. Uh, you know, we may see him, we may not. Uh, there may be other characters in this that uh, get a chance to be victims or villains, who, who knows. But I will say again, the the one thing that I will give Saw credit for as a, as a franchise, and again, we'll see how, how this statement holds up uh, as we kind of move along this series, but I think that they do a good enough job of creating an antagonist and somehow linking it to Jigsaw. But again, the believability of like his his mastermindedness, I guess, it definitely starts to be chipped away a lot more in this movie than in the first two. And I think um, before we kind of wrap up, we should probably talk about what our favorite uh, traps or kills were for the film. Um, so which one of them really stood out to you is whether it be sort of like the brutality that is uh, inflicted as a result of the trap, maybe the kind of like the diabolical creativity of it, which one really stood out to you amongst uh, the others that were in Saw 3? That's a good question. And one that I'm sure I knew that you were going to ask me, but now that we've talked about it, there's, there's so <laughs> many like... I don't know if unique is the best way of putting that, but they're just different than the ones that we've been exposed to so far. Um, I'd probably say, I, I'd probably say the girl that got um, like froze to death. Oh yeah. Just because it wasn't that she just froze to death. You could hear her like screech at one point when Jeff mm -hmm. is trying to grab that key and he like burns off his face or whatever you'd call it. Right. Um, but her body literally becomes like he touches her face and it starts to break. 
Like yeah. that was fucking crazy. Like again, <laughs> the point of like the budget, you could not have done that on a $4 million budget or other no. that sort of been much less impactful. Right. Um, that was, that was a pretty damn gnarly one for, for me to watch. What about you? So my favorite moment of, let's say, let's phrase it a little differently. My favorite moment of violence isn't even one of the traps. It's the fight between Detective Matthews and Amanda. Oh yeah. When Amanda goes back and I think she wants to kill him, uh, once he has escaped the trap, essentially, which he wasn't supposed to because he bashes off his own foot with the toilet seat. Um, they get into this fucking brawl to the death in that hallway, that dark and uh, dirty hallway. And he like slams her face off a wall like five or six times. And it's just so gnarly and brutal. But uh, Shawnee Smith sells it like a fucking champ. Yeah. It's such a gnarly, unconventional fight scene for this type of movie. Like, not to say that it's any sort of fight choreography that hasn't been done before, but I think for a film franchise that is very much about like static brutality, right? It's about somebody trapped in one location or it's about an, they are standing still when like their face explodes or whatever. To see a fight scene that is carried out with that much sort of kinetic energy and people are getting thrown around a room or a hallway and then you're seeing like their face explode from getting pounded against the wall and all this gruesome detail. Like that really stood out to me and she sells it so well. And it, there's a little bit of a comedic factor because you hear Donnie Wahlberg like moments before yelling, you're not Jigsaw, bitch, like over and over, which is such a corny fucking line. And yet he still says it like three or four times. So it's one of those scenes that it's like, I go into it laughing because his delivery and of that preposterous line is so funny but at the same time like it capitalizes on feeling like a more refined version of violence for this movie that has it includes variety yeah. and to piggyback off of something that you said a minute ago like the variety i mean as the age-old adage goes like the variety is the spice of life right this idea that you can't do the same thing over and over and to these movies credit for the most part they don't repeat anything necessarily that they've done in the previous films. There might be iterations on certain things, but I think that the creativity needs to be at the forefront in terms of the types of traps or the types of kills. Otherwise it's like, if you're just going to redo like the greatest hits, what's the point of even doing a sequel at that point? Right. Um, so that's an element that I think three capitalizes on in a way that while narratively it might be the weaker of the, uh, of the other two that we've seen, I think creativity speaking, the kills um, and at least the idea behind the way the narrative is structured while the execution might not be there. Um, it's it, it at least feels like they're making a more intricate narrative than uh, the previous two films. Very much so. And I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character literally pulled a Chris Weidman when he like stepped on his ankle and it snapped. <laughs> yeah, um, that was that's such a fucking gnarly moment. Oh my God. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where soft four takes us. And if uh, we see some of the familiar characters we've seen in the first three, or um, if it takes a, a life of its own, so to speak. But um, I, you know, man, I, I really, really appreciate you having me back on here, man. As always, man, it's a pleasure having you on and talking horror and saw. Appreciate it, brother. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to daily horror habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at daily horror habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.